Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we are putting on our feet. The day of recording is actually Sunday, so it's Halloween, which is why we are all dressed up. For those of you listening, uh, we've got a couple costumes going on. Uh, Matt, what are you, what are you Matt? What are you, you're... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Terex cowboy. No, I'm a cowboy. The same thing I usually do every year. It's either <laughs> I put my kilt on because I'm Scottish or I do the cowboy thing, so... I'm cowboy oh, with some so, of my new gear I'm testing. For the sake of the viewers, I'm glad you're not in a kilt. That'd be blinding. Um, well, what look, about you can't you? see anything. <laughs> and DJ, what about you? <laughs> All right, everybody got that? Yeah, that was very clear. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, I have my, my, I'm the Blue Ranger, Billy. Uh, this is my Power Ranger onesie, Triceratops. Um, it's what I wear every single year. And there's a, a huge seam hole through the perineum. So it's time to retire this guy. <laughs> so And DJ's dead. Uh-oh. Come back to life. Hey, he's back. No, DJ, what are you dressed up as? Huh? What do you... <laughs> I'm, uh, for the listeners, I'm Grogu. So that's... Uh... I did the little force hand thing, and then I died for a little bit. That's all. Took a nap. Took a little yeah, nap, a, came back. A little TIA. I'm getting warm, so I'm taking my <laughs> thing down. A but, little trans escape. Like yeah. You guys, <laughs> uh, do you guys have a favorite Halloween candy? Oh, that's a good uh, question. I mean, probably Reese's. <laughs> Matt? Does that count? I mean, that I counts. Of course it does. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that wouldn't count. That definitely counts. I mean, because it's a chocolate and you can get it every day. Like, mm -hmm. no, that counts. That counts. What about you, Matt? You know, I'm not I'm, for. I'm not a huge candy person. Um, I would have to you say though that <laughs> I'm not allowed to because it makes it, it it upsets my GI and then my wife makes me sleep outside. So that's why I have to Got avoid it. it. Just kidding. Um, I would have to say Twix have really been growing on me. Although I feel like a lot of mm. people don't normally give those out. That's not like a common candy. I feel like I see, but candy wise, that's grown on it me. It used to be. Yeah, not as commonly it, now. It used to be in those variety packs, but yeah. I feel like they're not really yeah. in there. That I haven't much seen anymore. them. Recently. Are you left Twix yeah. or right Twix guy? Both. That's the... ambidextrous. <laughs> cool. Ambi Twix. <laughs> Never mind. All right, forget it. Ambi. Oh, lame. Yeah. Lame, lame, lame. Just kidding. It's not that bad. I remember growing up, my favorite always was always a hundred grand. Just kind of like the basically a crunch bar with caramel in it. Yeah. Caramel? Caramel? What do you guys say? It doesn't matter. It's it's uh caramel. I say caramel it too. Depends on my mood. Caramel. I say both. I think yeah, it depends. Yeah, it depends. Like it's got a caramel drizzle, or it's like a caramel like Caramel macchiato. Caramel yeah. macchiato. It, it, it really depends on drizzle. what. The, yeah, it depends on what the what else you're talking about. Okay. Both have adequate use. It has caramel inside yeah. of it. That uh, I say caramel. I, say, I like say caramel for everything. Context. Let's see but if anybody else sense. thinks I'm in, I'm insane on this. One of my favorites, and this is a, a more rare one, used to be the white chocolate Reese's. Oh yeah, man! White anyway, Reese's is yeah. good. Solid. Cool. Well, <laughs> that's enough about Halloween candy, but 
It is good to eat. Uh, we just want to, before we even jump into anything, want to extend another thank you to everybody who's been following. Um, our growth has been fun to see just from a listener perspective and viewership through our when we release it on YouTube. <clears throat> and at the same time, people have been signing up to support us uh, monthly through the Anchor app. And so um, we just want to extend a huge thank you to all of you who have jumped on to help support the podcast. It's going to help us keep updating things from a technology standpoint and uh, help us get just better technology, keep our um, availability up because it does take time to make this stuff. So we just appreciate the support in that way. And it kind of blows us away that people are jumping on. But if you're interested in doing that, there is a support tab. And then another big way to support is to write a review um, through whatever platform you're listening to. If you write something down telling us the things that you like about it, or like we always say, if there's stuff we can improve upon, putting those things in there helps the podcast grow, um, helps other people find it, and also just uh, encourages us in what to keep doing and what to change. So thanks for everybody who's been supporting us. It's been really fun. And then the other piece of housekeeping before we jump in is that Bach, who's our media kind of manager uh, wizard, he releases every once in a while. I think it's going to be biannual. I can't remember what he said, but he's going to be releasing like our financial situation just to give a picture into what it's like to be bloggers and um, YouTubers and, you know, not and we're not huge, but just to watch what the that kind of like income looks like and then kind of talking about how we're using that and stewarding that. So that should be coming out soon. But with some of the changes we've been having, it's pretty crazy the difference that you'll see between the last one that we released and this new one. And so um, there'll be more info on this later, but we are going to be having some really exciting stuff released the beginning of next year in terms of how our group, which includes all of you guys who are part of DOR nation dor fam our family whatever we want to say um, dor fam dor fam yeah dor fam yeah the fam um i think it'll be a way that we can all feel like we're all contributing to something even bigger than running so um just stay tuned for that that'll be starting at the beginning of next year and it'll be kind of a once a month thing that gets highlighted on the podcast there we go i think that's all of the housekeeping that we have so we're going to jump into our topic for the night. It's going to include a sure view as well as talking about uh, a big topic that people are really interested in. And it's talking about the influence of drop within a shoe, which is the amount of stack in the heel compared to the amount of stack of foam in the forefoot. And primarily talking about the influence of zero drop shoes. We have a myriad of them that we've been testing um, over the last while. We've had a number of Shoes from Topo Athletic, and then also we've just kind of started establishing a partnership with Ultra as well. And so we have the Ultra Paradigm 6, which is what we're going to be going through today. And um, it should be a lot of fun. So, Matt, you have been working yes. on some stuff with some Zero Drop. So why don't you just give us a picture into what you feel like are the big things that people start to talk about when it comes to drop and kind of some of your thoughts on it and tell people what you're up to in terms of your dissertation work. Um, so just so everybody knows, in case I look really absent-minded right now, or I don't respond to your emails in a timely manner, um, I've got my proposal, the first part of my dissertation coming up here in, in the middle of November, I'll be taking my comprehensive exams, which gets determined whether I keep going or not no pressure in this PhD, but my proposal and research is on master's athletes, uh, master's runners, specifically looking at why Achilles tendinopathy is so common 
And so one of the things I've been looking at is foot strike, heel drop and shoes and all those factors together. So, you know, talking about this right now is exactly what I'm looking at doing a deep dive. And so, you know, I, my experience has been when a lot of people talk about drop in shoes, a lot of times they're, they're all, there's also a conversation about foot strike. And we've talked about that before, but I think the biggest thing to start out with is just because you're in a different drop of a shoe does not always mean it's going to change your foot strike. It might, um, different people are responders or not, but don't just assume that's going to happen. Yeah. Am I going too far, Nathan? Nope. I think that's great. And just that's to, great. Yeah. just to make sure we're all following you when you say that it's not going to change the, the typical thought pattern was that as you lowered your drop, like if you went to a zero drop shoe, right. The thought was you're going to change your strike pattern to a more right. mid to four foot strike. And if right. you went to a higher drop, like a 12 millimeter drop, the idea was you'd go to heel strike and they're finding that not to be the case. That's what you're saying. Right. For th There are plenty of people that will do that. Right. And so the biggest concern there is if you suddenly switch to a shoe, which as with all shoes, if you're changing something significant, please transition slowly. But don't assume you're going to change that. There are plenty of people running in zero drop shoes, whether it's max or minimal cushion that are still heel striking really heavily. So again, even though people connect these with foot strikes, there is in some people a connection, but not everyone, right? And so depending on how you land or change your landing will also place different stresses in different areas. So yeah. while we are going to talk about foot strike, we don't want you to be married to this concept when it comes to drop. Hmm. And do you have an idea of how prevalent those that it happens for people to change is like oh 60 percent of people switch their strike foot strike or 50 percent or 90 percent or is that not quite known that's not quite known that's a great question there are some studies that have kind of looked at the periphery of that but we're not sure about who's a responder and who is not and it has to do more with responder how, you mean yeah whether they change their foot strike or not yeah and it has to do okay. with how flexible their movement the movement patterns somebody use are some people are really rigid like no matter what what environment you put them in they're going to use the same movement pattern if we're talking about foot strike it means they're going to same use the same foot strike no matter what other people are going to adapt and so there's going to be you know people adapters and non-adapters and so we don't know the exact numbers we just know that some people do and some people don't so don't be married to cool. that we are going to talk about it but don't yeah. be married to it so yeah, just generally in this topic as well, let's let's talk about um, what we know about load shifting between different types of drops. So if we go from kind of the extremes that we see, I think obviously zero drop is one end of the spectrum. I think mm -hmm. we've seen 14 millimeter drop in some women's shoes. I think the Nimbus mm -hmm. Light 2 was a 14 millimeter drop. So what do we know about biomechanical loading models and what they're showing about what's getting loaded and do those get do those loading patterns change based on drop? They certainly do because I mean the the a heel drop the most significant the first thing it's going to affect is the position of your foot and specifically the position of your talocrural joint or specifically in English the the ankle joint right here. So that's going to directly affect calves right how much of the length of your calf's going to use with a higher drop shoe you're not gonna have to use as much calf length. You're gonna be in a little bit more what's called plantar flex position, right? So you don't have to get as much of this to go. So people with shorter calves can get away 
with a higher drop and run and not maybe, maybe not have as many issues where somebody, if they have a lower drop shoe that puts you into more ankle dorsiflexion, which requires the calves mm -hmm. to get stretched a little bit. So if you're going to do that, you better have good mobility and good strength of your calves, because again, lower drop shoes will typically stress the ankle and your calves more. And by stress, I mean, you're going to have to make sure you have good mobility and strength there. Whereas a higher drop shoe is more likely to put a little bit more stress through the knee and hip. Yeah, usually. Great. David, do you have anything to add there? That seemed pretty straightforward. It's hard to read you today because yeah. we can't see your face. <laughs> you're, you're doing the whole, whole episode also, like that, huh? It's also been partially intentional. I can yeah. tell. It's like yeah. you're like frozen completely. <laughs> um, yeah, for the listeners, I've just been like sitting still for like the last <laughs> probably 10 minutes. It hasn't been 10 I mean, I know I talk a lot. It hasn't been I'm just 10 kidding. minutes. <laughs> I thought I was doing I'm better. kidding. Uh, no, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Yeah. Anecdotally, that does seem to be the case mm -hmm. for me personally. My foot striking habits don't really change. But what I do notice, let's say I go for a 10 mile run and maybe my legs start to just kind of like have some normal levels of fatigue at like maybe seven miles or so. What I do find is that transition from the midfoot to forefoot. When I'm in a higher drop shoe, I almost just kind of like send my foot forward and like, like pitch it and roll it. And then like, uh, the load gets shifted more to those like hips, hamstrings, knees type musculature. Yeah. Um, I noticed that goes away in the lower drop shoes. Mm. Uh, more specifically, my topos, my ultras, and my Newtons. And I, I wanted to specifically bring up Newton in general. Yeah, it's a great because they're, they're a really of how unique example. they are. Yeah. So the shoe might be whatever two, three, four millimeter drop. They don't really ever go above that. Uh, but their lugs are almost always the same height or millimeter difference as that drop. So it's basically like a dynamic zero drop in some ways. Yeah, they do not factor in the lugs into their into their measurements. It almost so, seems yeah. It almost seems like a like a negative drop shoe, depending on where you're landing too, especially with those. Especially I mean, as a as a more of a heel striker in those, I definitely get some negative drop feeling in that. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, just from a musculature loading standpoint, because we talk about, like, okay, maybe you're having some Achilles tendinopathy-like symptoms. Maybe you switch to a higher drop shoe, shift yourself into a little bit more plantar flexion. Maybe that unloads it. Well, for me, I get uh, proximal hamstring things every once in a while. I switch to a lower drop shoe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually feel way better. Yeah. So they've actually been working for me pretty well. And I, it's I'm kind of like a mid to rear foot striker i'm not a hard heel striker but i definitely do land on the rear foot mm -hmm. so it's it, i just notice it in that midfoot to forefoot transition a little bit on on how that moves through the shoe totally and so i notice that ground contact time in the forefoot might be a little bit higher when i'm in a lower drop shoe yep um specifically in the forefoot compared to the heel like i'll kind of just like phew, you know, yep. but the, but the ground contacts longer up front. Whereas if I'm in a higher drop shoe, it seems like it's a little bit longer in the rear foot and mid foot. Yep. I, um, besides that, I mean, they both work well for me. I, I run in both. I mean, this is a 12. Wait, whoops. My bad. <laughs> I totally thought I was holding a wave rider in my left hand. I was not looking down my bad, <laughs> but this, 
This is a 12. This is a zero. I love them both. Yeah. They're both I, two of my go-to I think daily what trainers. David, I think what David is touching on nicely is remembering, as we always say, that shoes are tools, right? And so, yeah, different shoes are going to place different stresses in different parts of your body. It's not necessarily going to reduce the stress. So if you're having injury issues that follow you no matter what, it's probably not the shoe. It's probably you needing to work on your strength, your ability to shock absorb. But yeah, changing shoes will also change where things are stressed, right? So lower drop shoe is going to require more work from the foot and ankle. Higher drop shoe for a lot of people is going to require more work from the knee and hip. And yep. so you can use that I think and we encourage you. I just you. want to say to yeah. like, you best believe I'm working those eccentric hamstrings and glute work. And yep. I'm not just switching yeah. shoes. I'm constantly working on things. Yeah. So we, we try to practice what we preach. Yeah. And it's good to offload things, but good... also please work on it. Yeah. That's a good yeah. summary of kind of, there's, there's just changes and differences um, between like zero. And we're going to try to kind of stick on some zero drop stuff a little bit and kind of what happens there. But just talking about, Matt, you mentioned the amount of range that your Achilles is going to have to handle and the amount of loading both likely increase with the use of a zero drop shoe. One more topic that we should talk about uh, broadly here is the fact that all of these measurements for drop are measured statically, but we don't just uh, put shoes on a table and that's how they act. We run in them when we load them. So let's talk about the difference between static measurement of a of a shoe and dynamic use of a shoe, considering things like decompression of foam, rockers, like how does a four millimeter rockered shoe oh, compared yeah. to a four millimeter non-rockered shoe? Why don't we jump into some of those things? That's a that's a perfect set of questions. Which which one should we start with? Whatever. Do the, let's Whatever do let's do let's do foam compression because I get too excited about rockers. You know me, especially yeah. Field doubles. Let's do let's do foam uh, compression then. So these other the other two will tell you the same thing as well. We know this, right? Just because a shoe has a static measurement does not mean it's going to feel like it has the drop that's listed, right? Because foam doesn't just stay there. It's not static. It compresses, right? It moves. It's dynamic because we are dynamic. We're loading it. Depending on how soft or firm the foam is will determine how much it deforms. And depending on where you land will change the drop. So if you're a heavy heel striker like myself in a high drop soft shoe, if you land really hard in the heel, once you compress that foam, it's this drop isn't going to feel as high because once you land, it's relatively what the compression is going to make the shoe feel like a lower drop shoe versus a, something like, you know, this, where it's the foam's just a teeny bit firmer. If I land in the heel, it might feel either a little bit negative drop. It might feel a little bit more neutral. And the same thing happens if you land at the forefoot. If you land in the forefoot in a shoe that feels that's really soft, the foam's going to compress and it's going to feel like it has a, some drop, right? Even in a, something, a zero drop shoe. It's going to go either way. So know that these things vary depending on foam, geometry, on your foot strike, all kinds of stuff. So the number is a good guy, but don't get stuck on that. What do you two totally. think? I'm not sure I could have said it better myself, to be honest. That was pretty good. Ooh, ooh. I'm getting better just at being like it. straight to the point, right? I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I got this time limit. I set a timer every time I start talking. It's gr He's growing. This is all a growing process together. Yeah. No, I guys... remember. Yeah. I remember my first, um, one of my, and I think this will transition us into some rocker conversation. Yeah. But I remember my first time wearing the 
uh, Skechers Speed TRL and it, like that trail shoe. So it hyperburst it was pretty soft and there wasn't so much of it that it was like firmer like some of the higher stack hyperburst stuff there wasn't that much of it so it felt softer and then the whole shoe is just one big rocker and i remember standing in that and feeling like my toes were up in the air and my heels were down on the ground and i think rocker depending on where it's placed is either going to make a shoe feel like it has a higher drop or like it has a lower drop and so if there's a shoe that has um, a rocker that is really biased towards the heel, um, like it's an extension of the bevel all the way through the midfoot and forward. That could be something that uh, is going to make you feel like you you are going to have a little bit of a lower drop to it. Whereas something like, and David was actually holding it up before, but something like the Glide Ride 2, um, which doesn't really have that much of a heel rocker, but the forefoot rocker is super pronounced, that can make a shoe that may only have a five millimeter drop or something feel a little bit higher than that than it is. Um, so, what do you guys think about rockers? Would you guys agree with that? Do you think it's a little different? I think some of it too just does depend on your own individual biomechanics and foot strike. I think I notice with sharp rockers in the heel. I am a little bit sensitive when it's a real sharp heel bevel. Max I feel like I get pitched forward quickly a little bit faster than I would like to. And I think part of that too is because I don't really land super far back anyways. And I'm almost like landing on the apex where it's kind of just like a, psh, you know, yeah. so I'd almost prefer it to be a little less. Yep. And then have a little bit more up front. Yep. Or, or, or some concoction of the other way around just to balance the feel out. Um, but no, I mean, I, I agree with most of that. Cool. Matt, what do you think rockers and, and drop dynamic drop? I think the heel bevels, if they're heel and uh, bevels and toe spring, if done well, can actually take some pressure off. We, we do know that rockered soles, if done correctly, reduce some of the work at the foot and ankle. And yep. just the same way, I mean, the the Ultra Paradigm, which we'll talk about in a second, despite being a zero drop shoe, I really didn't have a lot of issues with it because the toe spring and the fo and is done so well and the forefoot flexibility is done so well. So if, you know, those things take some pressure off the ankle and especially how much your calves have to work. So if, if it's done well, it it you may not notice the drop as much, right? Just because <laughs> your calves aren't having to work necessarily as hard, right? You don't have to use as much motion, you know, so it can make a huge difference. So that's why we encourage yeah. you not to go, oh, this is a zero drop shoe. It's like, well, yeah, but what else is going on? Right. And we, we typically write about that in our reviews that, hey, this is a, listed as an eight millimeter drop shoe felt more like a blank because we try right. to like express kind of how the interaction between the foam and the geometry is going to um, make it feel. Right. DJ's just I, getting me. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> he's actually sleeping. That's what's been so that's what's been interesting is with I feel I like doing with, so good. With a lot of the shoes that we've reviewed recently, I feel like I haven't noticed the drop as much because I think companies are doing a better job at integrating bevels in their toe spring and heel yeah. bevels. And I'm like yeah, you know, I know this is an eight millimeter drop shoe or 10 millimeter drop shoe, but I'm really not 
noticing this that much. Not super clunky or something. Yeah, unless it's totally. Yeah, I think traditionally, if it wasn't done well, that high drop shoe would almost feel really slappy. Yeah, and then the lower drop shoe would almost feel like way too much like a racing flat where you're like, like this, I feel like I should be like taking off in this thing and and I'm not, you know, Um, whereas now I feel like they're, they're starting to dial in that geometry a little bit better. Um, and it, and it's just a lot smoother. Like you can take it out the box and just go run in it and it'll be a comfortable ride. It's not something you have to adapt to as much. Right. Obviously with any new piece of footwear, you have to adapt, but. Right. So in the zero drop world, there are companies that stake their whole philosophy and make their living on creating zero drop shoes. And there are plenty of people who fall in the camp that zero drop is the best thing for the runner. What are, and and just knowing that there's truly nuance to that. And we speak to that kind of stuff all the time, but what are the benefits of a zero drop shoe for a runner? Before we start, where does that come from? Yeah, before we start talking about this, I want to clarify again that shoes are tools. So there is no such thing as a best shoe. There are tools that are going to work better for different people. Some people are going to work super well in a zero drop shoe. Other people, not so much. So when it does come to some benefits that you might see with the zero drop shoe is that you're going to get a lot more work at your foot and ankle. A lot, not all of them. But a lot of these zero drop shoes tend to be a little bit lower stack. So you might get a little bit better ground feel, a little bit better proprioception. Again, that's not always the case. And you're going to work, if you do it the right way, on strengthening a lot of the, you know, your calf muscles. You're going to take load away from structures like your knee and hip. So it's just changing things. I think that there might be, I, I agree there, Matt. I think that there, I think some of the processing for people who are pushing zero drop is that. If you're a responder to a zero drop and you shift your foot towards a mid to four foot, you might land with your foot a little bit more underneath you. You might have, we talked about this in a science Friday recently, you might have a little bit more of a vertical tibia when you land that can actually improve your efficiency when you run Mm -hmm. that can decrease some of the stresses that may lead to stress related injury, like bone stress injuries in the tibia and stuff. You know, so I could see where there's the philosophy where, you know, what zero drop allows you to um, allow the ankle to do the work that it needs to do. Because actually, when they do biomechanical analysis of healthy runners, the calf is doing most of the work. I mean, that's just like a, it's a running. Running is a is a very calf heavy thing um, it, when it comes to like overall use. Obviously, there's more. The quad yeah. is absorbing tons right. of shock. There's propulsion through hamstring, swing phase, deceleration. Like there's tons of it. The calf is a very large portion of what they're finding. And I think that the philosophy that a lot of people might ascribe to who sit pretty starkly in the zero drop camp is that it allows you to use the muscles that you're supposed to use and hopefully decrease some of the uh, high impact in forces and impact loading rates is the philosophy. Whether or not that happens all the time, we know that, that it doesn't for everybody. But I think that's where some some people sit in pretty heavily. And there might be some true benefit to having a shoe like this to be able to use if you fall into the category of people who have a lot of bone stress-related injuries. It should be noted, by the way, that when most of these companies are going beyond the zero drop, they're usually talking about like 
more foot shaped shoes and some other factors as well as when they yes. talk about what's more natural, like allowing you to spread your toes out a little bit more. So there are some also other factors as well that they talk, but we're just talking about zero drop at the moment, but totally agree with you. Um, yeah, the calf, by the way, repeatedly has been shown to be one of, if not the most uh, important propulsive muscle during running gait. I will say too, and this is more anecdotal, but across every company with zero drop footwear, I find my body almost relies more on intrinsic musculature for shock absorption than the shoe itself. I don't slam the ground as hard. I, I notice my foot strikes, my landing, uh, my perceived ground reaction force, or just the, the, the literal initial contact and loading response of me landing on the ground feels much softer. Yeah. In terms of like, like if you listen to someone running and you hear like a bop, 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 I notice my landing's much quieter that's in what those a, types of footwear. That's what alpha flies sound like when you run, when they run yeah. by you. Seriously, when I was running my marathon, I knew when, a, when I was getting passed by someone wearing an alpha fly. It's like, tink, clap, 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 clap. That that but, does go at off slightly off topic, but that does go into the fact that you know just because you have a more cushioned shoe does not mean it's you have more protection because you're usually going to hit the ground harder. So yeah. this is actually yeah, I will say too, like even in like the Topo ST4, I mean, what was the stack height on that? Like sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah, I think that's right. That's like yeah, like that's basically a flat. Like that's like nothing. Yeah. Well, an old school. And flat like now. I did like eight to ten mile runs. And like my, even with how little like midsole was on there, my foot strike was softer in that than it would have been in, I don't know, something that had like 30. Yeah. Like a Bondi or something. Yep. 16 millimeter for the ST4. Just confirming that. My memory nice. still works. Solid. I think this is actually a good time to transition into talking specifically about the Ultra Paradigm 6. So we've been testing that we all have finished our review. It should be releasing any day now. So that that review is coming out and we're going to talk about it a little bit on here. It's been really fun. Just David and I, I think, have the Magnafly 4 from Topo. Um, so those have been two shoes that have been fun to test side by side because they, they're both sit a little bit in a similar camp with the Paradigm being more uh, stability uh, driven is, is kind of some of the goals of the design but they both kind of have this slightly higher stack, zero drop, daily trainer-esque vibe. And maybe we'll talk about a couple differences, but we're going to zero in. Ha, ah, zero in. Ah. That's funny. We're going to zero in mostly on the Paradigm 6. Um, a couple things about the Paradigm 6. It is their kind of premium stability shoe from Ultra. Um, they're using the new Ego, Ego? Ego, e Max. Ego Max. Yeah. The Ego Max midsole. And uh, it's constructed with a number of sidewalls, uh, really big sidewalls, both uh, on the medial and lateral sides that they call guide rails. Uh, and then has some flex grooves in the bottom. It has that wider anatomical uh, toe box and then a, a unique lacing system um, that we'll talk about as well. In addition to that, uh, just from a weight perspective, um, I think it's 10.3 ounces. Yep. In my men's size nine, and it's got 34 millimeters of stack. So it's a pretty high stack zero drop shoe. So it's, it sits in a unique category for kind of max cushion, zero drop, kind of premium stability, slightly heavier model, 
but not, you know, 13 ounces. So we're going to talk about this shoe. What did you guys think about fit for the Ultra Paradigm 6? Crickets. Crickets. I'll, I'll start out. Crickets. Okay. I'll go. I promise. Uh, I think the problem is David. I was, David, I was in character. This shoe was in character. <laughs> I'm waiting to see if David wants to respond for us. I know I always respond for, I'm by the way, exactly like this in class. So if you're ever like, if I'm ever in one of your classes for whatever reason, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm first the same thing. <laughs> it's pretty typical ultra fit. Um, I found the fits fairly wide. Um, obviously, especially in the forefoot, because that's, they do the toe box, the toe, the, the foot shaped, not toe shaped, foot shaped toe box. The heel in all ultras has always been really wide for me. So I got some heel slippage in here as well, despite the sidewalls. So I just had the, you know, lace locker, which I undid just for today's video. But outside of that, it's pretty comfortable, a little thicker upper, right? It's a little bit more of a premium shoe. But tongue was fit really nicely. I don't have anything crazy to say. It was actually just a really nice, solid upper. What do you guys think? David, what you got? Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that. I think overall it's dialed in pretty good. Um, every Ultra that I've tried, I've had the same experience, usually slightly wide through the heel, probably normal to slightly wide through the midfoot, and then usually a pretty wide forefoot, since that is essentially what they're going for with that like foot shape and toe splay and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I did have to lace it down pretty tight because I did notice my heel would translate a tiny bit. Um, especially with turns or if I took it in trails, not a trail shoe, but yes. Yep. Um, <laughs> but any times I was in like kind of more, um, quote unquote, unstable conditions, I would notice that thing moving around a little bit. Yep. So I just had to lace it down really tight, but yeah, I mean, if you have problems with shoes that are being too narrow consistently, these do tend to run on the wider end just in general. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I uh, I have a slightly more narrow foot, so I had some issues just overall with getting this thing to lock down for me well. I think I had enough space up front that I could have half, went a half size down and maybe that would have helped a little bit. But um, one of the things that I I did, so I think they call it the In of Arch, In of Arch um, is that lacing system that they have and the strap kind of goes down all the way into the last of the shoe or kind of the base of the shoe, the platform. And let's see if I can show the people who are watching. Yeah. Right in there you can, well, no, it's not really well seen, but it's, it goes right into the foot platform. And if you pull on it, you can see inside the shoe that it's lifting up kind of the area where the arch is at. So there's two different eyelets on the end of arch. And so I went to the one that was f further down and that was the one thing that did help lock in my midfoot a little bit. But even with that, the heel was was wide. The midfoot was too wide for me with a slightly more narrow foot. Toe box felt great. I mean, I won't that I really do like that anatomical fit. But it was just too wide for me. And so I just couldn't really get it locked down super well. I just had to tie it really tight. That said, um, and I'm having the same, I guess I'm having the same issue with the Lone Peak 5, except the Lone Peak's heel is like even wider than the Paradigm by quite a bit. Um, so it's super comfortable for walking. Like it's, I definitely see why people, why it's been the top shoe for through hikers of the Appalachian Trail for a number of years. But um, yeah, that wider heel is is getting to me in terms of just comfort running. 
The other issue I had is the tongue always ends up way out on the side for me. It's non-gusseted and mine has just been moving way over by the time I'm done uh, running. And so um, th that's just been a little bit of a, an annoyance in terms of comfort. However, what I would say, and I wrote this in my review, but the materials themselves are feel really high end and it has, it's breathable, but it's also sl slightly thicker which we're getting into kind of the deeper side of fall, getting closer to winter. Like this is the type of upper that I like to have for those colder, those colder months um, that still did fine earlier in the fall when it was still decently warm out when I was running. So I did appreciate the construction of the upper, kind of the quality of materials. And uh, it was just too wide for me. But let's talk now, we're, let's talk a little bit about zero drop, the stability elements of the shoe and if this felt like a zero drop shoe to you guys. So um, Matt, why don't you go into the stability elements of it, how it worked for you, who you think it might work best for, and then what kind of drop you felt like this shoe had. So David is the jack of all trades. He could literally run in anything. I tend to prefer a little bit of stability. Nathan, you're, are you, you're doing better with that? Are you still really sensitive to stability stuff? I'll go, I'll get to it. Okay, I'll get to it. All right, sorry, I'm jumping yeah. again. I loved how they did stability in this shoe. Um, depending on the shoe, I can be sensitive to post or not. This is not a posted shoe. They're using nope. guide rails. Uh, they're using a wider fit. So the midfoot does not narrow. It's filled in. There's excellent use of flex screws with the forefoot. Despite being a 34 millimeter stack, this is pretty flexible. That This was amazing. So plus a really solid toe spring up front. So Stability wise, there's a lot of, I would call this a guidance shoe. The, the shoe doesn't force you in any way, but once you get moving, your it keeps your foot centered. It's really, really nice. Also super comfortable to walk in. If you can handle a zero drop shoe, probably one of my top walking shoes for a lot of people out there, especially if you're in the medical field, standing on hard floors, but that's off topic. So lots of really good stability elements. And I really appreciate that they also put a guide rail on the lateral aspect because some people pronate, some people go a little bit too far out. So it's got it on both sides. The guide rails are really the primary way this is done. And instead of just having a firm piece of material called a post, it's elevated up. So it's just this nice guidance thing that kind of keeps you down the middle. And, you know, they also do this with these really nice longitudinal flex grooves too. So it, it would I would call it a guidance shoe and nothing is overbearing. It just all works together really well as a, as a whole. So it's really good. I think even people that might have neutral mechanics might be able to do well in this shoe because nothing's jamming into your foot, which is really nice. Yeah, I'll I'll just jump in there. I think where I've ran into problems, there are many, many stability shoes that I pass on from a testing perspective. And it's mainly when the carriage for stability sits underneath the foot itself. Um, so like a post, like if there's a dual density post, um, I, I typically don't do as well and just develop pain which just is not fun to have. And so um, what I appreciated about this one is that it was for someone like me who typically likes neutral mechanic, who has, who likes neutral shoes that don't have anything kind of pushing the foot. It really was a guidance thing. And I think because I have a more narrow foot, I even felt less of the impact from the stability mechanisms because they sit on the outside. And so, um, but I, I did, I did well with this one with no problems and I did take it on some longer, slightly longer efforts and 
on days I was a little bit more tired, I didn't mind having a little bit of that support, um, both on the inside and the outside. I think this is one of the few shoes that has a construction that is um, potentially advantageous for those who do have supination issues um, and who are riding a little bit further outside. I think another one that pops into my head is the Eternity Nitro from Puma. Um, and that's not a zero drop shoe, but just kind of a, a little bit more cushion, having a, something kind of sidewall on the outside that's trying to give some guidance there as well. I think that those two things really were helpful. And I think the other piece of stability that, that this did well is this is like the first lacing system that I felt really like cinched up on the inside of the arch. If you use that in of arch uh, lacing system to its max potential. So I appreciated that about it too. David, do you have anything else on stability? No, I thought they did a good job. I mean, I wrote about it a lot in the DPT section and it's just the sidewalls, the wide platform, full contact outsole, no usage of a post, but but yes, filling in through the midfoot as well, yeah. creating some intrinsic uh, rigidity and things like that, mm -hmm. but also allowing for some flexibility with those flex grooves. Because I think that's where people get hung up on a lot too, is it's like, oh, it has to be really rigid in order for it to be stable. Right. Not necessarily. Right. So um, I think from a dynamic stability standpoint, they did a really good job. I mean, my my only knock with it was just the heel security, really. Agreed. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, from a stability standpoint, that's probably all I got there. I like that the guide rail, too, isn't super high the whole way. It also tapers off and kind of lets you do your own thing as you transition yeah. more anteriorly into the forefoot. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, it's a good shoe. Let's talk about ride a little bit then. Um, talking about drop, the how much it's a zero drop shoe. How much does it feel like that? And then you know this is the Ego Max midsole. Um, how does how soft, how firm, how bouncy, how not? Kind of how we describe ride. David, why don't you take this one first and give us your thoughts? Yeah, I think for being as high stack as this shoe is, it definitely rode firmer than I was expecting. And I ran in the Paradigm 3, I believe, was the last Paradigm I ran in, the black on gray one. And I remembered that one being softer, in all honesty, mm -hmm. like compared to this one. And um, not a bad thing. You know, if anything, it makes it more stable, firming it up a little bit and putting all those other components into it. I felt like the ground feel was much better in this model than what I remember. Um, but yeah, a little bit on the firmer end. I think the bevel's done pretty well. Um, it's not huge, but it just it's enough to transition pretty quickly throughout that heel to midfoot and then ultimately in the forefoot. Not a whole lot of toe spring, but they have those deep flex grooves, so they don't really need to. It's almost like, um, I mean, like it does allow your foot and your ankle and your joints to, to move a little bit more naturally through it, and it kind of puts it all on you in some ways. Yep. While, while still reinforcing things here and there throughout the shoe. But ultimately, it's still going to be a lot of, it's all on you. It's more of a natural feel throughout. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think they did the heel pretty well. Midfoot solid through the transition through there. It's all relatively quick. A little bit more time on the forefoot just because of the deep flex grooves and the, and the level platform. So you don't just like just roll through. But I mean, it feels feels good. Did Traction you, solid. Did you mention how, like, did it feel zero drop to you or did it feel 
Did you say? Did uh, yeah, you say it specifically? Yes and no. Okay. I think we were talking about it earlier. I think a lot of these companies are just getting better at making shoes. <laughs> In the past, zero drop shoes, it was like, oh yeah, this is a zero drop. And it's like, I can still tell it's a zero drop, but at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I would, what I would perceive to be a zero drop mm-hmm. where, uh, it just, it feels like a daily trainer. That's, that's, I mean, yes, the heel and the forefoot, there's no offset. So, and you can notice that a little bit, but the transitions are all there. All the components and tools you need are there. It just feels a little bit different. I would say like later in the run where normally maybe you have a firmer forefoot, but a higher stack. And then you kind of just plop off of the thing. You, you, it's a little bit more you, and it's a little bit more in the calves and foot and ankle later in the run. But besides that, I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's not like, I'm not like, it's not like a track spike or something where you're like, yeah. you're going to be regretting it the next day. Yeah. Like, it's not like something you have to quite literally train yourself up to. It's a much more fluid transition. So can I tell it's a zero drop? Yeah. But I mean, it could very easily, it's almost very like Hoka-esque. I hate to bring another company into it, but they have a four millimeter drop platform and it feels pretty similar to what a Hoka would feel like um, in, in a lot five, of ways. Don't they? What's that? Doesn't Hoka do five millimeter drop? Depends on the shoe. In some models. Oh, Five is really mostly four, I think. But uh, either way, I mean, like low, but still they have a drop and the bevels might be a little sharper on a Hoka than this one, but the components are there and it feels, it feels like a daily trainer. Those extended crash pads. Yeah, man. Crash pads. They're real. (laughs) I almost wrote that in the review. I almost wrote that in the review and I'm like, I can't do it. Sorry, everybody. There's an inside joke about crash pads that we're not going to go into. Um, yeah, David, I think I agree with you a lot. I think that it ran really, uh, a lot firmer than I expected. And in testing this compared to the Lone Peak 5, you okay? No. How the heck did I do that? What happened? It's probably the I got my leg somehow tangled up in my mic. (laughs) Like the, The the, the wire, it's literally... It goes down, under, around, back up to the laptop. I have zero idea how I did that. It's probably well, the that's force. stuck. I have to like literally like move my leg out of this. Well, good luck. Uh, while you're doing I'm out that, now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have no I'm idea saved. how I'm going to get out. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm Grogu. I have the force. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, comparing the Ego Max in this shoe compared to the Ego midsole in the Lone Peak Five. Lone Peak Five actually feels a lot softer, like a lot softer. Part of that might because might be because there's less of it, so you can really just feel the deformation of what's there. But I, it's, um, and I'm saying dynamically, like when I'm running, not just like a press test. Like it just feels firmer in the paradigm, which I think helps from a zero drop perspective, where I'm the heel doesn't sink in so much, and I'm a pretty for sure heel striker, or at least rear foot striker, and. Uh, I didn't feel like I was sinking down. And so um, I did some of my runs using a different uh, insole that we're testing the connect insole. And that has a four millimeter drop. And I could definitely tell the difference between wearing that compared to the zero drop. And it was fun to compare between runs, you know, what it would feel like with or without um, an insert that had a drop to it. 
So I, I would agree with David that for me, it felt like a zero drop shoe, but I never once came back with the sore calf. Like the next day, even after my like hour long run in it, like I didn't have soreness in the calves afterwards, which I think speaks to some of those transitions um, as well as I think. I mean, for us, we are constantly testing tons of different types of shoes. So our bodies have learned to adapt. So I, I think from a transitions point, and we're going to go next, we're going to talk about how we think people should transition to, to zero drop shoes or considerations to have. So we'll go there in a minute. But I think that this is one of those that could be one of the more approachable options for people, regardless of if you need stability or not. I think people with neutral mechanics will do just fine in this shoe. Um but again, those who have some stability needs. But I think that the the platform, the geometry, and the the higher cushion allows for maybe a slightly easier transition to a zero drop shoe in this one. Matt, what do you what do you think about firmness and drop and that kind of thing? I I totally echo that. Where you know I've been dealing with some Achilles stuff on and off and managing it fairly well. I was able to jump, probably jump, probably not the best word given my lack of plyometric strength, but I was able to run right into it. <laughs> Um, for those curious, I had the worst vertical jump of my entire undergraduate exercise science class. So I can just Perfect. run. Far. Um, but I was able to get right into it and I actually live in a fairly hilly area. And so didn't really have any issues. I had an Achilles flare up due to something totally different, i.e. stress and a lack of sleep, um, which don't discount those when it comes to injury stuff. So I, you know, walking in these was great. It was, they were super smooth. Running in them was super smooth. Again, I was the same with those two. I, I was aware of a zero drop shoe, but didn't come away sore. I think again, that yeah. the toe spring and how well the forefoot flexes, it was really smooth. Yeah. I think the firmness does help with the stability. And like David, the last paradigm I ran in was the 4.0. That ego midsole was like super bouncy. Like I could do workouts in it. This, this is a mileage shoe. I wouldn't, wouldn't try to do. Yes workouts but it's a great shoe to transition in um yep. this this whole I time i've been trying to come Matt, up with a joke it, about the ego uh oh, mental, but i'll stop it's just you're not figuring it out <laughs> i agree with you no, yeah. I, the other I thing i say something the shoe the, yeah. the ride of the ride of the shoe i don't i couldn't really pick up the pace in it really at all it feels kind of bottom heavy to me like it sits on the heavier end now but it it has a daily trainer feel to it but i couldn't i really couldn't pick up the pace it felt a little bit flatter not super bouncy and just bought just overall heavy because the the upper is thicker and the midsole is a lot of stack so just i felt like i couldn't turn over quickly how do we revive david when he has these episodes do we have to like clap three times i haven't seen this is from star trek right Star Wars. Darn it. I thought that would get him. We're going to lose. I it. thought that would get him. We're gonna, I, just oh, said oh, oh, oh. I was like, dude, we're going <laughs> to lose like all of our fan base. If you say that. No, I, I thought that maybe saying Star Trek would be what could revive him. But okay. No, the last dead. topic that we want to talk about today, and I could maybe I'll say a little bit about this just because this is what I wrote about in my DPT section. And then you guys can build off of what I say here. But we're going to talk about things to consider when transitioning to a zero drop shoe. So we've talked about that the, the main difference is going to be the demand on the Achilles, both, hey, he's alive, uh, both in the amount of motion that the Achilles and the calf has to go through, as well as the amount of work that the calf has to do. And so some of the things that I wrote about um, was 
to consider using this shoe during the day or for walks for the first couple of weeks to allow your body to get used to having this kind of motion that's demanded of your foot. And so, you know, let's say you get your shoe, I would, I would honestly wear it for like two weeks um, or more without a run. And just, especially if you've never ran in a zero drop shoe and just use it walking, use it standing at work, whatever is appropriate for you and your, how your life works, but kind of starting there. And then uh, I would use it for a short, very short, and short is going to be relative to the person. But for me, that would have, that would be like a 30 minute run. So take it out for a 30 minute run and then not use it again uh, until the next week. So I would do one run in it, see how your body adapts to it. And then you can slowly add in maybe 10 to 20% mileage in that shoe over the next month. And within that month, that first month of using the shoe for running, I kind of recommended and, and kind of recommend having at least one other run in between uses of the zero drop shoe to allow for uh, adaptation of the tissues. So thinking about physiology and recovery, um, tendons, when they're loaded, take 36 to 52 hours to reform their collagen fibers. So this is kind of getting nerdy, but if you think about 36 to 52 hours running in it two days in a row, or even every other day might not be quite enough time for the, uh, for the tendon to reform. So giving it over that first couple times, giving yourself three to four days in between with a, another run in there, but in another shoe could be a really good idea. And then slowly increasing that over that over time, 10 to 20% of your total mileage per week in the zero drop shoe, if you're wanting to make a transition to using it regularly. And then in the meantime, because we talked about the demand put on the calf, it would be doing tendon loading and muscle strengthening exercises, daily calf raises, a little bit of plyometric work with your calves just to prepare them for the loading that they're going to need to do. So I have that kind of written out in my DPT section. What do you guys think about kind of that kind of flow of transitioning to zero drop and what else would you consider? Yeah, I think a lot of the components are there. Um, for a lot of people, it's not going to be quite as structured as that. Um, I agree though. I, I would say wear them at work, walk around in them, get used to just the general feel of the shoe first because it is a different geometry and type of shoe than what most of the other shoes on the market are. And then just take them for a shakeout, whatever that means for you. So for me, it's probably four or five miles. That's kind of my normal break-in for most shoes. Or if I do a workout, I'll wear them for the warm-up of a workout. And so for me, it's usually about three miles. And then I change shoes into whatever I'm doing the workout in. Um, and then, yeah, give it a day off or so, see how you feel, and then and then come back around. I'm, I'm not sure you have to wait two weeks, but um or or a full week or what um or whatever but like you can kind of play around with it and obviously we're used to running in a bunch of different shoes but usually for me i probably would do a four to five mile shakeout for my first run my next run in them is probably going to be right around 10 and then whatever then i just fit it into my schedule of whatever i'm doing um based on the day since i do have a program that i follow kind of wherever it's convenient from that point forward but it's like if i could take a 10 it's like i can pretty much run whatever distance i want within reason in it so yeah that's impressive a 10 is scary for me <laughs> <Or> for, <laughs> but that's you're running how many miles a week 
Uh, I've been averaging about 75 to 80 for right. the last like six or so. Yeah. So you're a, you're a lot higher mileage. So 10 of your week is like five of my week, you know? So it's just different depending on the person. Matt, what thoughts do you have on transitioning? I would say, again, you guys have already hit this on the head in terms of take your time, right? Walking in them for especially zero drops, just give your body time to get used to that. There's some very good evidence that in terms of foot strengthening, you can do like intrinsic foot strengthening exercises, or you can actually walk around barefoot or in a low drop shoe or a minimal shoe and actually does something similar if you do it the right way, which is great. Um, so obviously the transition and taking your time is important. My big three things for any going to a low drop shoe regardless of cushion is going to be, as you mentioned, calf mobility work, whether that's stretching or make sure, making sure your ankle can move um, into this range better because that's where you're going to be going. Calf strengthening obviously is going to be part two because you're now having to handle new loads at a new range and muscles are length specific, meaning if you have not strengthened a muscle in a range, if you go there, it's not going to be able to generate a lot of force unless you prep it. The last one is balance. I'd say when you start loading your ankle into that new range, most of some of your balance that's not related to your inner ear or your vision comes from what's called your somatory sensory system, which in, is just the nerves that are in your joints, ligaments, stuff like that. So these joints and ligaments are not used, not usually used to being stressed like that. So just working on being barefoot or being in this shoe and working on balancing on one leg, which is essentially what running is, it's a series of one leg hops can be really helpful just to make sure your balance is solid so nothing else is compensating. So calf mobility, ankle mobility, calf strengthening, single leg balance are kind of my big three things along with slowly transitioning into the shoe and letting your body get used to it. Yeah. And how you do that is going to be dependent on you. Some people can go super quick. Other people are going to take more time. Listen to your body. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. You know, I wanted to put some guidelines in there, guidelines, because there isn't there is not a, a perfect way to do a transition. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think listening to how you're, and, and as you run more and more, you're going to, you're going to learn what does it mean when my Achilles feels like this versus when it feels like that, because one of those feelings is just an adaptation. And the other one is maybe something to really pay attention to. And that's where, as you learn your body, you're going to figure those things out. But, um, you know, thinking about a slow transition and letting physiological principles take their course is a big deal. Like a, a muscle doesn't really get stronger for you get neuromuscular changes over the first four weeks of, of regular strengthening, but the muscle doesn't really get stronger for six to eight to 12 weeks. So to expect your calf to be stronger just from like a week of work is not reasonable. And so just thinking about your transition depending on what your running history is, what types of shoes you've ran in, what kind of strengthening habits you have, just you got to take all that stuff into account before you make a transition. So I think it's time to get going. Uh, DJ's whatever is falling asleep or passed out or whatever happens to that character. Um, so we should probably let him go. Also, he's a Cowboys fan and they're playing right now. And I'm sadly cheering for the Cowboys because they're playing the Vikings um, and they're in the Packers division. So it feels weird to want the Cowboys to win, but I guess I do tonight. So DJ and I can still be friends. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. As always, we really appreciate uh, kind of what this DOR family has become for us. Uh, we've been getting to know a lot of people who've been asking us questions and 
um, kind of participating in all this. So it's been a lot of fun. And you can continue to follow what we're doing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Strava, um, and YouTube, and obviously this podcast that we're listening to on any platform. So feel free to follow us there. And again, reviews help grow the the podcast awareness. And uh, stay tuned for some news coming in the new year. Take care, y'all.